Welcome to this Euractive debate on digital inclusiveness, how to ensure no European is left behind. Our event today is supported by Giga Europe. You can follow this debate at hashtag EA debates and please tweet your comments there using the hashtag. Our social media team will respond, interact with you. And to ask questions, go to the chat section and use the ask button. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed the role and perception of digitalization in our societies. There's now an increasing focus on the importance of the infrastructure, which enables large numbers of people to work, communicate, educate, shop, and socialize. But this focus has also led to questions about a growing digital divide. In March, the Commission presented a vision, targets, and avenues for a successful digital transformation of Europe by 2030. The EU's ambition is to be digitally sovereign in an open and interconnected world. Targets set by the Commission include that by 2030, at least 80% of all adults should have basic digital skills. And by 2030, the Commission wants all European households to be covered by a gigabit network. In this Euractive Giga Europe digital debate, We'll look at the role of connectivity to close the digital divides and what investments are needed to roll out uh, gigabyte networks and 5G to reach every European. Uh, this morning, uh, we have a keynote speaker and then uh, we have an excellent uh, panel uh, as well, which I'll introduce to you in just a moment. Uh, for the moment, uh, let's meet our keynote speaker, uh, Victor Negrescu, member of the European Parliament and uh, vice chair of the Culture Committee. He's also the European Parliament Rapporteur on Shaping Digital Education Policy. Victor, great to see you again. And uh, I'll give you the floor uh, just now as well, and then we'll come back and you'll stay with us for the, the discussion afterwards as well. The floor is all yours. Thank you so much for, for inviting me today. And I'm happy to have this keynote uh, uh, speech at the beginning of this important conference, uh, speaking about digital inclusiveness and how we can reduce the digital divide at European level. Of course, you mentioned very well, uh, Brian, in your intervention that we need, of course, to find solutions at European level. Reduce inequality while in the same time making sure all Europeans are taking advantage of this great opportunity offered by the digital evolutions. But in order to do so, we have to uh, be well organized and have a clear strategy in this direction. That implies, first of all, to make sure that everyone has access to this type of innovation, that everyone has access to fast internet, that everyone has access to technologies that allow them, of course, to develop professionally while using digital tools, to make sure that we have the infrastructure available in all countries, in all regions, and for everyone independently of the place where they are living, and in the same time that those elements are available also for those that come from disadvantaged groups. In the same time, of course, beyond access, we have to make sure that the quality of the solutions available and the quality of the use of the digital infrastructure and technologies is high. And this is even tougher than what I mentioned at the beginning, the access, because we have to make sure that we have standards at European level and that those standards are being applied across Europe to make sure that we have skilled professors to teach everyone to learn how to use digital tools, to make sure that SMEs in Europe are using the digital infrastructure in a suitable for way for them. And this is harder, because if we look at statistics, things are not yet there. We have more than half of the European population that doesn't have the basic digital skills required to develop themselves. We have many SMEs at European level 
that are not using digital tools to develop their businesses. We have, unfortunately, 60% of European professors that do not know how to use in a proper way digital tools in order to teach others. And these, all of those elements represent big problems that we are dealing with at European level and it's not enough to fix targets. What is good, nevertheless, is that we decided from the recovery plans to allocate at least 20% for the digital transformation. So we have to make sure that those funds, those resources that are being made available through the recovery plans in different member states are being used wisely and that are generating a strong and concrete impact in the lives of European citizens. So it's not enough only to have the 20% allocation. We have to make sure that we have proper and adequate actions in the recovery plans of member states that will provide a concrete and long-term impact in the lives of people and, of course, improve connectivity as such and improve the quality of the connectivity across member states. So, of course, starting from this issue of access and quality, we need to divide broader policies. The European Parliament has come up with several proposals in this regard focusing on education, focusing on innovation, focusing in supporting uh, uh, entrepreneurship in the digital sector. We are working together with the Commission. We are working with member states in trying to implement and identify the best way to do so. But what is clear, and this will be the, the last message of my intervention, is that we cannot simply wait for things to happen. This will be the biggest mistake that Europe can commit is by simply waiting for things to happen. Things will not come from nowhere. It's not enough to have a, a, a smart digital entrepreneur building a business somewhere in Europe. We need to do more than that in order to have a proper digital transformation of Europe as a whole. If we want to be the leader at global level, Europe needs to, de to do more on that. We have some of the tools available. We have some of the methods available. Now we have some of the funding available, but we need to, to, to build synergies between all of that work with the relevant stakeholders in the field, use the, let's say, opportunities that are available for us, but also the advantages that uh, Europe have in the field, and, and of course, construct a strong policy in the field at all layers in the same time, and to be very frank, at a faster pace. So I'm really happy that I'm here today discussing this topic with you, and I'm certain that this conference as well will accelerate the process in convincing also decision makers and the private uh, leaders to, to, to work together in, in, in delivering on those important targets. Thank you. Victor Negrescu, thank you. Stay with us uh, for discussion. Let's introduce uh, the rest of the, the panel now. Uh, we have with us today Fabrizia Benini, and she's Deputy to Director and Head of Unit at Digital Economy, Recovery Plan and Skills, DG Connect, the European Commission. Great to see you. Uh, we have also Jorgi Dimitrov, uh, he's the Head of Unit Digital Education, DG EAC, at the European Commission. Excellent to have you with us, sir. And Iban uh, uh, Garcia del Blanco, Member of the European Parliament, uh, Vice President of Jury Committee, uh, S&D Coordinator of the IDA Special Committee, and Substitute of the Culture Committee at the European Parliament. Uh, we also have Mario uh, Marianello, he's a Senior Fellow at uh, the Think Tank Bruegel in Brussels, and Eka uh, Wehrmer, she's the Vice President of Public Policy at Liberty Global. Uh, great to have all of you with us uh, today. Now, just uh, as uh, always, we're going to ask each of our panelists uh, to start with a 60-second uh, introduction, just uh, their, their key message uh, for this uh, session. Fabrizia, let's start with you. 60 seconds. 
Thank you, Brian. Well, um, MP Negrescu was absolutely spot on when we say targets not enough, we need to do more. And that is what is the digital um, decade proposal, which is a decision before the co-legislators, the European Parliament and the Council, that put forward not only uh, targets that will guarantee a European way to digitize in the next decade, but also sets up a mechanism to discuss what to do identify the gaps and try and bring together the synergies amongst all, all the policies, because it's only a concerted effort that can help us get there. So um, to give you an example on digital skills, which is uh, the, the area that I follow most closely, um, today, 66% uh, of uh, the, the EU population possesses basic digital skills. This is very little, but 84% use the internet. So there's something wrong here. Uh, there's something wrong here because this means there are um, parts of the population that are using the internet without the sufficient knowledge to understand what is it that they're reading, what is it that they are consulting, what is it that they are downloading, and how that influences their other decisions, their other rights, and above all, the democratic, the democratic processes to which we engage. Why is it important to go for both digital skills in the, in the basic level and advanced skills, which is another target in the digital decade, uh, in terms of uh, having at least 20 million advanced ICT specialists in employment by 2030. It is important because without uh, the skills to actually develop the tools, uh, to develop uh, the um, and design uh, the internet solutions that we need, we will always be subject to acquiring them to be passive consumers. Whereas we have very clear ideas of the rights that we want our citizens to have whilst they navigate the internet, what happens to their data, the access and equal access to, um, to platform use, et cetera. So we do need to have that talent um, to be sure that Europe can use the internet and develop its own, its own tools. And uh, this is a shortage that faces all countries. 70% of employers regret not having digitally skilled uh, uh, workforce, um, both whether they are digitally advanced or not. And therefore, the, the, uh, the push towards it needs to be a pipeline approach, both in terms of education, and my colleague Dori can tell you more about that, from cradle okay. to tomb, so to speak. Thank you. We'll come back into I, I know you don't have a lot of time for this today, so I want to speak to you about skills just after we introduce the rest of the panel as well. So stay with us for that. Uh, Yorgi, uh, over to you. 60 seconds, sir. Uh, good afternoon and great to be here. So there is a saying that uh, education is the great equalizer when it comes to the chances of men and women and uh, any others to access um, what is best to perform and to uh, exploit their potential. And um, in a transformation such as the one that we're going through right now, the digital, it is probably even a greater equalizer than it has been for the last few centuries. However, what we have seen and what um, um, MEP Negrescu rightly pointed to is that in COVID, we saw under the magnifying glass some of the bigger problems that were underlying and which seem to persist, be they around access to infrastructure be they lack of digitally skilled teachers who cannot teach online when it uh, needs to be done, 
or as a matter of fact, the level of skills and competences of the younger population, as my colleague Fabrizia pointed out, it's not enough to consume information. You need to be able to make uh, sense critically of it. So if we want to break this um, um, sort of uh, almost um, a natural development where the socioeconomic uh, background of a person is the single most important um, condition that um, explains their success over time, then we need to make sure that digital education is part of our education and training systems and that it, digital education is fit also for the age that we are living in. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jorgi. Ivan, uh, over to you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the invitation. It's a real, a real honor to be here. It's a pleasure. I would like to call uh, for the European Digital Illustration. Uh, and it is uh, in the digital age, uh, age beyond the concept of uh, digital skills or digital uh, capabilities as well. Uh, we, are, uh, we, we believe that we should, uh, this digital literacy has to be integrated into a broad plan. Uh, digital literacy, media literacy, data literacy, artificial intelligence literacy. The aim is that every European citizen has the knowledge and understanding uh, on how digitalization works and what digitalization means for them and for our societies. A European digital illustration would include European values and principles a fully democratic, uh, transparent and socially uh, responsible digitalization that respect and ensure uh, the diversity, equality, gender equality, of course, and accessibility. Digital literacy, from my perspective, from my point of view, is not only about uh, abilities or, or capacities uh, for the market or for our uh, market labor, labor, but beyond this point, uh, we are talking about democracy itself because uh, democracy will not be only democracy anymore, uh, will be uh, digital democracy as well. So we have to, 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 to have the, the enough capabilities to understand what is going on and how we can uh, behave like, like uh, citizens in Europe. Thank you very much. Ivan, thank you so much. Mario Marinello. Uh, thanks, Brian. Thanks to all of you. I mean, I tend to agree with everything that has been said until now. Um, I think without the right digital infrastructure, the European economy uh, is definitely doomed. But what I would like to say here is that expanding infrastructure uh, cannot be just thought as a, you know, a top-down exercise. Uh, uh, above all, I think it cannot be uh, thought in isolation uh, with all the other objectives of the digital agenda, because infrastructure can help bridge the digital divide, eh, as, uh, as you have said. Uh, but at the same time, the reverse is also true. Uh, that's very important to keep in mind. Uh, a more symmetric sharing of the value which is produced by digital technology has the potential to stimulate infrastructure investment, uh, for example, because it increases uh, um, demand for digital services. Now, technology as such has the great potential to, uh, you know, to reduce inequality because at least theoretically, uh, you know, those who uh, are supposed to benefit the most uh, from the, uh, digital technologies are those who have less in theory, right? Uh, I mean, because uh, with digital technologies, for example, you can have uh, more easy access to education or to medical care. Um, if you have a small company, you know, it's, it's easier to scale up because maybe because you can use cloud services, for example. But at the same time, 
as uh, some, some of you have said, uh, in practice, it's very disturbing to observe uh, that uh, this uh, you know, increase in digital adoption in Europe has not been associated with a reduction in inequality. Actually, we have seen inequality exacerbating, uh, especially during the pandemic. The pandemic really spot, uh, put the spotlight on this. Uh, if you consider that, uh, for example, uh, only 29% of uh, uh, low-paid workers could switch to telework. Uh, that's, that, that already uh, explains something. Uh, we at Bruegel, we found uh, strong correlations between uh, uh, access to broadband connection and uh, vaccination rates. Uh, so, I mean, of course, the, the, the reason behind this is much more complex why you don't vaccinate, but skills and digital uh, um, access to digital infrastructure is part of the picture, and we, we should uh, take that into account. So. I mean, what I, I mean, in a nutshell, what I would like to say is that the bridging the um, digital divide in, on all three levels, so access to infrastructure, skills, and the ability to use those skills to extract value online is a fundamental step also to expand the digital infrastructure. Thank you so much. And uh, to Eka also to uh, give you 60 seconds. Um, hi, everyone. Thank you for um, the invitation for this uh, great conference. Um, I work for Liberty Global. Uh, Liberty Global is uh, the largest uh, TV and broadband company, um, operational in seven countries. Um, we are currently uh, heavily, uh, we always have been heavily investing in our networks and working uh, to uh, create fixed mobile convergence um, and networks across our footprint. Um, we understand that our role is much more than just connectivity and uh, creating a network and also providing the people with the skills they need uh, to get by in the digital world. Um, so we have uh, several many programs for uh, digital inclusion across our footprint in our operations, um, which uh, we have heavily increased as well during the uh, pandemic, uh, as we saw um, um, and to make sure that no one was left behind. Um, so, yeah, just to start with that. Okay, excellent. Uh, uh, Fabrizia, you don't have a lot of time to spend with us, so I just want to spend a couple of minutes talking about skills with you uh, before you, you disappear on us. Uh, you, you, you highlighted some of the elements to do with skills about using uh, in digital technology uh, about uh, you, simply the, the, the skill set that's needed to function in, in this world. And uh, we heard also from Eben about uh, being able to participate as a, as a citizen. Uh, you, you need these digital skills too. But if we're going to build out the infrastructure that's necessary to scale up, as we've heard, uh, do we have the skills in Europe today that's necessary to achieve what Europe is, is setting out? You know, do we have uh, all those different skill levels which we can put, put together and call them digital skills? Um, or is there a lot of work still to be done? Uh, the answer is actually both two parts of to the two parts of your question. Yes, we have the skills that are necessary. Yes, we need to scale them up. So uh, uh, on the scaling up, I think that what is very important is that our Commission's President, Madame van der Leyen, from the outset of her um, of her tenure, said that no one should be left behind. And uh, in September, State of the Union address, she goes back to this theme and she says, well, it's very simple. Digital skills and education need attention at leaders level. What does this mean? It means that we're now starting a structured dialogue under the uh, stewardship of um, Vice Executive Vice President Vestager with leaders on these two aspects to identify what? To identify where the investment is going, because as you mentioned and others before you, 
mentioned, there's a lot of investment that is on the table or potential on the table. And two, uh, what are the reforms that are necessary, both in schools to train the teachers, to make sure that digital, uh, digital um, subjects are there, uh, to increase the capacity of our universities in teaching advanced technologies. Um, and in, in short, to make sure that we can actually also give our workforce, and that is so important, give our workforce the possibility to be trained so that they are actually able to face the changes in the labor uh, in the labor work, uh, I was I was very stricken by the fact that you know the Nobel of uh, Economics was announced to uh, three uh, three economists that were looking amongst other things about the impact of uh, a minimum wage in relation to to the availability of jobs, and that of course speaks to um, to inequalities and what we can do about it. So together. Together, but the European Union doesn't have uh, sovereignty over uh, education policy in different countries as well. And we see a real mismatch in terms of uh, which countries uh, deploy certain programs. You know, Austria, for example, and, and Germany as well are particularly good at, at the apprenticeship uh, model for, for education as well. You know, and that, that tends to be largely industry led. Fabrizio, do you think that you know, the, the, there's the risk that Europe? doesn't hit its target because it doesn't listen to industry telling uh, educators what is actually needed in the marketplace. Do you think there's the risk of a mismatch here between policy objectives and the, the real life needs uh, for uh, commercial activity? Well, uh, the, uh, the targets and the exchanges and the dialogue that goes with it are exactly put in place to avoid what uh, the peril you're indicating. So therefore, uh, everything needs to be done to make sure that the people we train are actually people that will be in the job market. Because, the, for instance, the ICT uh, specialist's target is for 20 million in employment. So that consideration was present from the outset. And I do believe that uh, you know, th this um, structural dialogue with leaders will enable everyone, national level, regional level, local level, to come together, because this is a, a subject that interests everybody, is of concern to everybody, everybody that has democracy at heart. Thank you. Uh, stay with us as long as you can, please. We'll try and get uh, another couple of comments back in. Victor, uh, you spoke, uh, you're always very keen to emphasize the role of entrepreneurship in, in strengthening Europe's economy and and how that dynamic works. You know, is uh, with small businesses being the, the vast majority of European uh, businesses, is this a, a, a big players game or are Europe's policies sensitized to providing the digital skills that small, medium-sized uh, enterprises actually need and the skills that uh, they, their potential employees uh, will need to help us scale up their businesses? I think, unfortunately, there, there is this risk that this digital transformation uh, is only helpful for the big players. We see that also in EdTech, in the technologies implemented for education in the current pandemic, that most of the countries chose to, to use uh, the technologies offered by the big companies, uh, most of them coming from outside the European Union. So, of course, this is a huge risk. This is why I believe, of course, that one of the targets uh, that we should fix for ourselves also in the framework again of the recovery plan is to make sure that some of the money is going to the SMEs and that some of the projects when it comes to infrastructure, when it comes to methods, when it comes to technologies, when it comes to 
platform that we are, we, we are using, also all those uh, resources also involve SMEs. And we have a couple of countries that decided within the recovery framework to uh, fix a target, to allocate at least 20% of the money to SMEs. So I think this is something that needs to be worked upon, of course, at European level. I think beyond competencies, because you mentioned that uh, also uh, before, Brian, it's about will. So if we have the will to change things, if we have the will to do things differently on education, on skills, on training, on digital transformation, we can find solutions for countries to agree, the, uh, to agree among, uh, among uh, themselves and find proper ways also for SMEs, but also for NGOs and for people to be involved in the process. Thank you. Uh, Jorgi, also on this as well, I want to come speak a bit more about investing in infrastructure in, in just a moment, but let's speak about investing in skills uh, now as well. Where, where do we get the most value for our money when we're talking about digital education? You know, where should we put uh, the majority of, of the cash and in terms of uh, return on investment? What works? So um, the shorter version of it is that uh, the sooner you start you start meaning um, early childhood education and care and then primary and secondary the better and uh, then the return on investment uh, you can measure in uh, access in the in the uh, to, to the labor force or the general level of digital skills which i would argue are also very very important in terms of uh, thriving in a democracy and being able to um, let's say address things like um, disinformation or or uh, fake news etc so the earlier you start, um, the better. And this means that um, addressing the teacher skills is one very, very important point. And this is what we are also seeing in the um, uh, recovery and resilience plans. A lot of the member states are actually uh, addressing this topic there, in addition to the infrastructure, of course, and to the question of access. And uh, we shouldn't forget also the, the issues around equipment and devices. Um, then um, I think what also is very, very important um, is to address this in an integrated manner, because uh, there is no point of putting the latest uh, infrastructure or devices from the year 2021 if the teacher is not able to launch a learning management system uh, and um, educate basically um, in a manner which is purposeful and meaningful from a pedagogical point of view. Uh, so. In a way, I like to describe this that it needs to click. Uh, so digital education is effective only when it clicks. And actually, the experiences with some, uh, let's call them early stage distance learning in the um, uh, early um, phases of the pandemic shows that if not done right, it can actually even be counterproductive because this is where mental health issues exist and so on. So um, to cut it um, basically down to the, to the bottom line, the earlier you start, the better, uh, including with early childhood and skills uh, training for teachers. But very, very importantly, it needs to be done in an integrated, um, uh, some say holistic manner um, with the knowledge that infrastructure affects skills and vice versa. Uh, and I think this is the whole point also of this structured dialogue that uh, the president of the commission announced in the State of the Union and which will include also digital education and a focus on it. Thank you. Excellent. Fabrizio, I know you have to go in just a moment, but our audience is already active with questions. So I'll just give you uh, one quick question. Uh, it's from uh, Datsu Lutas uh, Thumel, who's an attorney. Uh, what is planned to do about the age divide in digital skills strategies? 
are a lot aimed at the younger generation, be it schools, universities, professional education, but what about those above 50? So this is a very good question. Um, uh, the, the, the idea of no one should be, be left behind has been translated in a series of initiatives on gender, on rural, and in all those cases, the age element is taken into account, but that's not uh, enough. What is important is that member states identify those segments of the population and the initiatives that they are doing to target those and that we, in, in, in dialogue with them, identify what is really working, i.e. what are the best examples that we can try and replicate in other member states. Um, Europe is an, aging, uh, is, is an aging continent. This is something that we need to, uh, to deal with, and, uh, and, and the Commission has been reflecting in a number of documents in these aspects. Thank you for Okay, thanks also for your questions, which uh, we already have quite a few in. I'm going to begin introducing those uh, to the discussion in just a few moments as well. Iban, uh, when we talk about uh, democracy and uh, the, the, the skills that are needed uh, for uh, you to be a digital citizen as well, is, are these just nice words or is this really something critical to, to how our economy uh, will function as well? Yeah, uh, we have to make sure that the only approach to, to this phenomenon is not only uh, the, the economical approach that is much, much needed, uh, of course, but uh, uh, the di digitalization is going to affect uh, our democracies uh, as a whole uh, from, the, uh, for, from every perspective that you, we can think about. Uh, so uh, we as citizens uh, ha have to, 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 to have a clear knowledge about in, in which way we are going to be affected uh, in, in the perspective of our relation with uh, public administration, in relation with uh, uh, our uh, behavior as citizens, in relation even uh, some, uh, some people uh, were talking about the, the, the question of, of this information, even about the, the information that uh, we are receiving uh, in order to make uh, ourselves, uh, our opinion, uh, on uh, democratic, uh, uh, on a democratic uh, topics, so we have to, to be aware uh, that uh, we understand uh, from a general point of view, from a general perspective, uh, what uh, this uh, phenomenon entails uh, at large. Uh, so uh, we, I think that, that this is mainly a question uh, for uh, public administrations, but not only for public administration, but uh, for inter entrepreneurships uh, as well from the, from the, 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 the approach the, from the from the business uh, from the business uh, from the business uh, life because uh, the, the the trust uh, on the digitalization the view that many people could have about digitalization depends on the comprehension the, the general the deep comprehension about what uh, this uh, this change uh, is going to to, to, to make to, to our lives. So uh, we have to make sure of this, uh, even uh, mainly uh, from the from the perspective of Euro European Union and European administrations. Maru, you spoke about uh, the symmetrical sharing of technology, but also about the increasing uh, demand of digital services as well. You know, a, a lot of politicians are concerned that as AI automation uh, advances, jobs will be lost. Uh, but do you take the view that as digital uh, infrastructure is deployed, uh, digital services will increase and employment will be a byproduct of that as well. 
Well, this is a, of course, it's a huge topic. Um, generally, I think one could be uh, slightly optimistic about, uh, you know, the, the effect of technology on the number of uh, uh, jobs that are created, if you look at history. So you could imagine that uh, the net effect of technology uh, will be positive, but that shouldn't uh, allow us to relax because uh, first of all, there is a transition, uh, and so there is a transition in which uh, uh, in which those who have uh, uh, those who have um, uh, skills that are complementary uh, to technology. I mean, of course, they will uh, uh, they, they will benefit somehow, but those who have skills that can be substituted by technology, then they will be somehow penalized. So you have to ensure that the transition is uh, is fair uh, in some ways. And second, of course, technology does not just uh, affect the number of jobs. It also affects the quality of jobs. So one has to see, I mean, like, I mean how, for example, technology is reshaping uh, the relationship between employers and employees, and maybe is exacerbating the the, uh, uh, the gap of power between employers and employees, maybe because the employer will be able to uh, more easily monitor what the employee is doing. So the question is not really only if you will retain your job in the future, but whether you would uh, have like a higher well-being than today because of the job uh, that you have. Now, if I may just like uh, add two things because they are related and uh, also related to what my, the previous speakers uh, have, uh, have said, and I think are, are very important. One, one is about digital skills. Uh, I think uh, what we need to pay um, a lot of attention at uh, is not only about the supply uh, of, uh, of training opportunities, but also about the take up of training opportunities. Because what we have, uh, we have seen is that those who need more training, those, for example, those workers that are more exposed uh, uh, to, to the risk of automation, those who are more likely to lose their job, are also the ones who are less likely to take uh, training uh, opportunities. Actually, OECD has some nice uh, statistics on that, and they found that uh, actually uh, uh, low-skilled, low-educated workers have one-third uh, um, uh, participation rate to training opportunities compared to highly educated uh, workers. So that means that there is a problem, right? I mean, like, we need to you know, also work on the on the demand side. I mean, I can design the right incentives for workers that need it to uh, uh, to take up those training opportunities in order to have uh, more digital skills. And the second point that I wanted to make is that uh, when we talk about digital skills, um, we're not just talking about uh, coding. Eh? We're not talking about just you know the, the the skills to use the technology. It's a more general approach that we need to have. Is so the the question is much deeper than just saying okay we have uh, we teach like uh, uh, you know how to navigate on internet uh, uh, to to teachers in school. Uh, we actually have to reform our way in which we educate people uh, because in the future. Uh, you know, if you want to be complementary to technology, you need to expand the qualities that are really properly humans, like, uh, uh, for example, you know, non-cognitive skills, uh, the ability to be creative, the ability to work, uh, uh, you know, in teams, uh, the, the ability to be in an uncertain environment, all these kind of things can be taught. There are educational systems in which, I mean, they, they tend to uh, uh, you know, to, to, to have that approach. So they, they tend to give pupils the instruments to acquire knowledge in an um, a, a, a uncertain environment. 
Um, and those are uh, uh, the educational systems that are better uh, equipping their, their future uh, uh, workforce to, uh, to be in this uh, new uh, uncertain technology environment. I'm thinking about Finland, for example. So, but this, uh, uh, this deep reflection has to be taken at national level and also at European Union level. Uh, I mean, with the, of course, with the uh, constraints that you have emphasized, Ryan, because I mean, at the European Union level, of course, we have uh, limited leverage to use. But I mean, I think it's very, very important to have that in mind. No, it's not just coding, it's deeper than that. Okay, thank you. Eka, let's talk about investment now for, for a moment. We're investing in skills. We, we already discussed it. There's a lot of money being put uh, towards that as well. But uh, the purpose is to provide skills to support the infrastructure rollout, uh, which will be needed across Europe as well. And as I understand it, there's a, an annual gap of investment, an annual investment gap for infrastructure for digital technology, about 42 billion. That's a lot. Does that concern you? Um, uh, um, yes, um, but um, as Liberty Global, we've um, uh, we've made some great, you know great investments also in in our network. Um, um, in the past year, we've made um, almost two billion in um, providing more you know more internet to the homes and to uh, enable um, um, everybody to take part of. Um, um, you know, to, to, uh, to make sure that the digital divide uh, doesn't, you know, um, affect the vulnerable people. Um, yes, so, uh, and, um, and you know, we have um, many uh, programs in place to make sure that, that um, you know, to help, to enable in our footprint and our operations that, um, you know, that the divide um, decreases. What you say about investing two, two billion, for example, is interesting. Because the, the is business doesn't invest in ideas. Business invests in projects, uh, which will return an investment as well. So you know, Liberty Global invests uh, two billion in this. Yeah, how how do you think it's it's uh, viable for Europe to reach this uh, to bridge this investment gap of forty two billion? Is the market there, or as we, we heard from from Dario, uh, you know, the, the skills as as the the market consumption increases, the projects will be there. The investment will come with that as well. But that seems like it would take a lot of time. Are you comfortable with the pace of investment at the moment? Okay. Well, um, well, yeah. The, I mean, the, the recovery and resilience fund, um, um, you know, will will be an important role in in. Um, and bridging that divide, but I think uh, for us it's important to make sure that um, public funding is is given to areas and 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 uh, focused in areas where uh, the you know there isn't um, um, it doesn't compete with um, um, public and um, uh, private investments, and um, and it doesn't disincentivize and uh, distort competition. I think that's for us an important one. Okay, let me put this to, to Yorgi as well. Yorgi, um, under the previous administration, uh, Commissioner Katainen was essentially uh, Europe's uh, salesman for, for investment. And uh, he, he went around Europe, literally every uh, single member state, uh, encouraging uh, investment in the Juncker plan as well and, and the leverage capital that came out of that. 
um, to the surprise of many, uh, was was seemed to be largely uh, very successful as well. Do we need to do this again with digital infrastructure to raise this extra forty two billion a year that we need a salesman or woman to go around Europe and to go around the globe, encouraging investment in Europe's uh, digital progression? Well, I would say that we definitely need a little bit of a salesmanship in the digital education infrastructure. That's the field which I know better uh, than the, the general digital infrastructure itself. And uh, I believe that um, what um, our executive vice president Vestager, um, together with um, several other commissioners, is uh, launching this uh, structured dialogue around digital education and skills aims partly also to do that. Why? Because um, it's true that we are seeing an unprecedented level uh, in the RRF allocated uh, to the um, digital education. But it is also true that um, in some cases um, we're not entirely sure whether that investment is linked to the uh, general uh, reform efforts that are necessary if you digitize. Uh, and I think that all of us here um, might agree that uh, when you are going through a digitalization of uh, whatever sector, then you are uh, also changing a lot about the processes. So it's not about uh, putting analog into digital and uh, then you have it. Um, actually, it's, um, it's uh, the reason why we don't speak anymore about e-commerce, but we speak about commerce and trade and it's whole digital. And we still need to talk about digital education because in the relative maturity of it, um, it is way, way behind. So we definitely need top level attention and people to uh, either sell, as you said, uh, or to drum, um, to, to beat the drum, uh, to speak about the importance um, of all of this. Uh, and we probably need to do it in a slightly more uh, simple way, not focusing only on the uh, technology itself, um, and trying to combine the relative benefit of uh, integrating technology for um, purposeful education, uh, for something which develops uh, also uh, the type of skills that humans excel at. And we know that technology can actually help that process. Uh, so it needs to become, on the one side, it's very paradoxical. It needs to become less techy on the one side, but we need to also include in the discussion uh, people who are really um, uh, working on um, uh, Teachers, we need to include them. I mean, in the uh, survey we did last year as part of the development of the Digital Education Action Plan, we had 60% of uh, teachers saying that they have never taught online. Uh, 60%. Now, imagine um, if 60% of population wouldn't be able to use uh, banking services online or wouldn't be able to purchase uh, goods. So it's the this is the type of gap that we need to, 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 uh, to cover here. And it's a long-term process. Okay, thank you. Victor Negrescu, do we have the long term uh, to, to achieve this in terms of global competitiveness? You know, is, is Europe too thoughtful about this process? Do we need to, to invest in those who are better able to deploy uh, projects which can uh, turn into jobs and into competitive uh, export markets quickly? And you, are, are, we, are we overthinking this? I think we are not thinking about it enough. I think there are, of course, uh, two, 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 two elements that are important. We need to speed things up. So we have to use available technologies, but we have to have a long-term plan. So for instance, if we are investing in, in implementing digital technologies or technologies in education, we have to make sure that we are developing in the same time European providers in the field. So if you create the network with European money, 
it will be interesting, of course, to have a supplier from Europe building that respective network. And unfortunately, we are not doing that enough. We are, of course, spending a lot of money for the digital transformation, for the green transformation, but most of the products that we are going to use come from outside Europe, which is not bad because we have to have an open market, but in the same time, we have to make sure that we have a development of uh, European innovation in those respective fields and that we are supporting that respective innovation. So this is why SMEs do play a crucial role. So we have to have an integrated, integrated strategy in this regard to make sure that we are not simply you know, spending money to bring technology that come obsolete afterwards, because we know very well when it comes to investment in, in, in the digital sector, what we buy today may be, become obsolete in, in six months or in one year's time. So we always need to invest more and more and change that technology. So it might be good in the same time to convince those big companies, big players from outside Europe to invest more in Europe, while in the same time developing local companies that can do more on that. And of course, uh, improve the innovation in the field because we are lacking behind. So today the high speed computing computers are rarely produced in, in, in Europe. We have uh, problems when it comes to buying again uh, and, and, and having the chips that we are using for our computers. We have a lot of things where we are lacking behind and we need to do more on that, working with the private sector, but also uh, involving local communities. Because I think one of the crucial elements that has not been underlined today is that we need ownership over this digital transformation in order to make it more inclusive. And ownership means to use the particularity of the European landscape, which means a lot of discussions having clusters, having groups of people, having networks, working together in doing all of that. And I have to mention that uh, when it comes to digital education, I was working with Georgi, with the European Commission on that. Partially this has been done, and I think we have to use this model in building broader platforms when it comes to this digital transformation to make it successful. Because uh, if individuals, uh, if Europeans feel lost, if European SMEs feel lost in the game, feel that they are losing because of this transformation, the transformation will not be a successful story for Europe. Thank you. I want to come back to you on uh, using available technologies a little bit later on. I'm going to take some questions now, but uh, I think we need to talk about if we're going to achieve 5G and automotive technology and areas like that, you know, do we need to rebuild everything or should we start with what we have and what's possible with that? But let's take some questions uh, first. We have a lot of questions uh, today, so thank you to our audience uh, for that. Um, let's start with Jeremy Maddox. And uh, what measures should be taken to ensure that recent migrants and asylum seekers, even let's give you this one, uh, what measures should be taken to ensure that recent migrants and asylum seekers are fully included in digital inclusiveness and not disadvantaged by reasons of language skills, international connectivity, and education and support to connect other citizens? Even. Well, um, I, I, I think that, that we have. Um, measures enough and we have the, the numbers that we need in order to 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 comply with all these obligations that we are uh, we are uh, pointing out uh, the uh, plans uh, from the european commission and, and, and in addition with the plans that were ag uh, agreed with the european parliament uh, imports uh, more than, than, than billions and billions uh, we are talking about not only the recovery resilience uh, plan uh, that implies uh, 700 more than 700 in fact 700 uh, billions uh, we are talking about uh, uh, other programs in the 
in the MFF, uh, like Horizon, like like another 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 programs. So uh, I think in in, in 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 this way, it depends on uh, the, the 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 member states uh, more than than the than the European uh, institutions in order to uh, sign what where are the the, the big priorities uh, and uh, in order to fill these gaps uh, that we we were talking about all this this panel. So. I think that uh, that uh, European administration and European institutions uh, have to to, to be uh, so aware about and so watchful uh, about the 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 the, the, the complement with uh, with uh, the, the aims that are allocated in in, in these in these programs and uh, beyond this point, uh, I, I was talking about not only uh, as, as you mentioned, not only about the, the digital skills, but uh, digital literacy. We have to to to, to highlight uh, this as well in our programs. Uh, European Commission and European Parliament are uh, working in plans about, uh, for instance, uh, disinformation or about uh, education and in plans that tries uh, that try to to to, to fill these gaps uh, so we have to to, to point this uh, in, our, in our in our in our priority agenda and not only the question related to 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 to, to market or not only to, uh, related or regarding the the, the question of, of the economical approach but uh, from the, the the enhancing of of, uh, of uh, citizenship as well by uh, okay. go, by by giving this this kind of tools as well to to, to behave in this digital era. Thank you. Uh, Echo, I'll give you this one from Charlotte uh, Gomaton. Um, when we talk about infrastructures, what do we mean? Our infrastructure, uh, our, our network. So uh, um, it would be our. Um, our fiber networks, um, a coax. So we have, and uh, of course, our 5G. So our uh, we call it the fixed mobile convergence. So it's our um, um, uh, uh, our internet connections or broadband connections. Okay, thank you, uh, Yorgi. For you, let's roll two of these questions in together. Henk uh, Manikins uh, asks, uh, what mechanisms are there to translate EU objectives into coordinated national actions? And another question from Charlotte, and about 20% of uh, financing, uh, how much will be dispatched for which countries in priority? So mechanisms, how do we translate them into coordinated national action? And uh, how do we find, use the, the, the financing for this as well in terms of priorities? Georgi. Okay, so in terms of coordination, um, as you know, we have limited competences in the education field, so I guess the question is around education. Nevertheless, we have a well-established process around the European semester, where annually we are working together with the member states and addressing uh, their most important priorities. It's a well-established process, and uh, it ends up normally with uh, specific uh, recommendations um, by the Commission that are followed up with the member states. And um, we have seen last year an extreme spike, if I can put it like that, in the um, um, let's say, recommendations when it comes to the um, digital skills and education aspect. So this is something that we are following up in a coordinated manner with the member states. So it is outside of the pure voluntary cooperation and best practice exchange that we have normally as a setting for education policy. Um, I just want to say that I would not underestimate that voluntary mechanism anyway, 
because um, what we have seen from the member states coming to us, in particular uh, from COVID uh, and uh, from the wish to learn how others deal with this type of uh, uh, really big challenges, is a great, um, a great level of, um, let's say, shared problems. Um, and uh, the wish uh, for um, uh, many member states to cooperate better at the EU level uh, in the field of digital education. By the way, this is why we're going to be launching a European digital education hub uh, early next year to promote such uh, closer cooperation at EU level uh, when it comes to digital education. It does not exist yet, but uh, it is something which comes out. And then when it comes to the uh, question of the priority and then the financing of the priorities, um, we need to be aware that when it, uh, when it comes to member states' investment, uh, of course, um, uh, it is, um, it is a, the, the, the by and large um, greatest uh, part of the, of the necessary investment in education and training. So uh, we do have the RRF um, where we are uh, closely working now with the member states on their relevant investment areas. Um, I would say that uh, with exception of a few member states, we have now all of them on the table um, and we will now um, go a bit deeper in in the question in particular investment and reform so we have to see to what extent reforms also accompany this investment whenever that is not clear so that is one way of doing it and uh, we do have some instruments such as the erasmus program the horizon uh, program it was mentioned already where we are able to incentivize specific developments um, but uh, of course, in comparison to the national budgets, these are much less um, in terms of total, to total numbers. So the main responsibility here does indeed uh, remain with the member states. And what the commission needs to um, uh, perhaps do a bit more of is to support the member states uh, to invest this um, uh, money more um, perhaps uh, smartly, as we, as we say, so whenever there is an infrastructure, let's put some skills as well um, for teachers next week. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Let's go back to talking about technology, uh, Victor. So questions here, two questions from Michelle. Uh, I'll give this to Victor and to Mario. So Michelle says, there's a spotlight on high capacity networks as an asset to reduce the digital divide. What's the panel's position on the most future-proof technology to ensure no European is left behind? And she also asks, uh, how does this apply to rural areas? Victor. I think it's important to make sure that everyone has access uh, from uh, from big communities, but also from rural areas, from mountain areas, from isolated areas. So I initiated also in this regard uh, uh, a pilot project focusing on that in, in giving access to those isolated areas to, to, to connectivity, but also to technologies in particular when it comes to using technologies in education. So I think it's crucial, of course, not to leave anyone behind. And of course, we speak about people in rural areas, but we also have to mention people with disabilities, uh, people that, of course, come from disadvantaged, social disadvantaged uh, groups. So it's very important, again, to have uh, an inclusive uh, approach when it comes to digital transformation. I think this is signif significantly important because, uh, you know, uh, if, I said earlier that if one individual feels left behind, uh, 